If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open up to Proverbs chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will let you borrow one. Our ushers have them. All you do is raise your hand. They'll let you borrow it. If you don't own one, we would like for you to have that one. We believe that God works powerfully through his word, which means we want you to take it with you, read it, apply it to your life. If you have questions about it, come back and talk to us because we're supposed to do this in community. So that's awesome. If you do own one and you're just borrowing one, you can leave it in your seat when you're done. Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to be looking at all the verses 1 through 18. We've been in Proverbs for a little while, and this is going to bring a big first section to a close. And today we're going to look at a choice that we all have to make. A choice between wisdom and folly. And we're going to compare the two. Because I know right now you say, well, the answer already seems obvious, but we're going to talk about that too. Because this is an important passage for all of us. And before we continue in Proverbs in coming weeks, we've got to get Proverbs chapter 9 today. Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave an experience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker, will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and he will love you. Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is an experience, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of God. Church, guests, we've reached a fork in the road in Proverbs, and it's time to decide. One of the biggest decisions I ever made was when I went to college. Now, I know for some of you, college wasn't an option. For others of you, you had lots of choices. I was a fairly normal good student in, that, in the great state of Alabama, where I'm from. I could go to all the in-state schools based on my grades, but I really couldn't go anywhere out of state and actually afford it. So I was making this big choice, and I'm trying to decide where will I go. I was raised, I was born really, an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Did not expect that. Thought somebody would boo me in South Carolina. I'll take, I'll take a roll tide, though. Um, But my sister, two years ahead of me, who I'm close to, had gone to Auburn University. Those of you who aren't sports fans, Alabama and Auburn don't like each other. And don't like doesn't even get there, okay? Y'all think South Carolina-Clemson's a rivalry. You have no idea. I'm telling y'all, the day after the Iron Bowl, half your church isn't there. Ask a pastor in Alabama. I'm serious. So I narrow it down to these two. 
And for some reason, I feel like I should go to Auburn. I've got to make a huge decision. Now, I was taking a lot of credit with me from a community college, transferring all that in, that kind of thing. But it just felt right, which sounds so weird because I was born an Alabama fan and I still am to this day. It was a huge decision that set me on the trajectory of my life. But the decision we're talking about today is more important. You see, I bet every one of you have had to make big decisions before. Whether or not to go to college, for example. Where to go to college. What career you might pursue. Who to marry, if to marry. Whether or not to have kids. Whether or not to change careers unexpectedly. When to retire, for some of you. How much to leave to your kids or not. Today we will consider a decision bigger than any of these, and now is the time to decide. You see, in this passage, we get a picture of two houses on opposite sides of the road. The house of wisdom. Sorry, this side gets to be wisdom. Sorry, this side's got to be folly. It's just where my hand went. I don't make the rules. The house of wisdom represents living life with the Lord. All right, this dwelling in his presence, this walking with him. The house of folly represents living life in sin, walking in our own ways. Those who accept wisdom's proposal will find life, and those who accept folly's proposal will find death. So this gives us the choice that we face here. If you've heard me preach here often, you're used to me working back through the text completely, but I thought it would actually be most helpful today to compare the two houses. So we'll go back and forth from the first part of the chapter to the latter part. I'll try to guide you as we go, but it'll help us compare and contrast and see what's going on here. I think this is what the author intended for us to do anyway, is to see what's going on with these two, what's similar, what's different. Now, to pause, because I know some of you have already checked out. You're like, this is a lame sermon. He's saying we should choose wisdom or folly. We already know we should choose wisdom. Let's just pack it up and go home. We should have kept singing that song because it was awesome. It was awesome. Good job, praise man. And way to sing, church, because I could hear lots of people behind me singing. That was awesome. But this is not as easy as it seems. Before you think the choice is obvious, I want you to consider the words of 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20. It says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So yes, we should choose wisdom over folly, of course. But if in our flesh we think this choice is always going to be obvious in the moment we're choosing, then we might actually already be proving ourselves to be unwise. Let's compare the two houses. Starting in verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom got to work. Y'all, I am not a handyman. I know some of you probably are. What's great about handyman, none of you would admit it. But some of you in here know you're like, this person's sitting by me. They can fix anything. I am not that guy. Wisdom's out here building a house. Okay? With her hands. She's carved out her seven pillars. Don't overly look into that. I know some of y'all, you see a number in the Bible and your brain starts going like all Da Vinci Code on us. Stop. It's supposed to be a big house. Okay? Don't overly look into this. Maybe seven has something to do with perfection, but regardless here, this is a big house. Even today, a house with seven pillars out front is a pretty big house. I guess you could have small pillars, but usually not. Seven 
pillars of this big house. She's prepared her meat. She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. Isn't that fancy? How many of y'all know how to set a table? Like the traditional way. You know which way the knives are supposed to face and stuff. Y'all kill me. I wish I knew how. Maybe you can teach me one day. Apparently wisdom knows what she's doing. Remember a lot of Proverbs, by the way, is Solomon, especially here at the beginning, talking to his sons trying to encourage them to go after wisdom, trying to make wisdom look appealing, trying to show this is a good and desirable thing for you. Interesting that if he's talking to his sons, he's like, imagine a beautiful woman grilling you some steak. That's kind of what it says. She's throwing you a party. This is who you want to go after. We actually don't even see that folly is doing anything to prepare. In verse 13, we are introduced to folly, and we just find out about her. It says, folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. Now, before I say anything else about folly, let's understand. Wisdom and folly aren't actual people, okay? These represent ideas. So when I say she or her, we're just using the language of the passage. Cool? Don't get lost here. Folly is a rowdy woman. I'm not sure what that means, but I think of Rowdy Roddy Piper when I hear the word rowdy. And if you don't know who that is, ask someone who is a pro wrestling fan and let them repent later. She is gullible. If you don't know what that means, it's written on the ceiling right now. Like three of you looked. <laughs> Not going to call anybody else out. She's gullible and she knows nothing. Now the idea here, what's being told here, is that she knows nothing about the right way. She knows nothing about wisdom. All right? She acts like she knows stuff, but she doesn't know a thing. Notice she's not doing anything to get ready for her guests. She's just not knowing anything and hanging out. Now, who are their desired guests? Back in verse 4, we see wisdom's desired guest. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here to the one who lacks sense, she says. If you look at verse 16, it's the exact same verse. They're identical. They're both looking for the inexperienced, the simple, the one who lacks sense. If we don't have wisdom, that's us. Both wisdom and folly call to us on a daily basis. In a regular conversation at work, in our families, they call to us, they desire for us to come to them. We actually see in this passage that wisdom and folly both send out invitations. Look how wisdom sends out invitations. Verse 3. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. She sends out people to go get them. She says, go get us some guests. Bring them in. Tell them that we're having a big party. Tell them that this is the right way. Show them how desirable this is. Doesn't that sound like God? Just a little bit. If it doesn't to you, if you're not familiar with that, let me tell you about God for a second. God sends his only son to earth to reveal himself to us and to save a people for himself. Jesus, who is actually the true personification of wisdom, who walks perfectly in the way of God, is sent to us from heaven to rescue us. And once he comes, lives the perfect life that we should have, dies the death that we should have, bearing the weight of our sin and the wrath of God for us, is dead for three days and rises again, what does he then do? He sends out his disciples. So just as wisdom is sending people out, God sends Jesus, and we too are sent out to go tell people of this good way of wisdom, this desirable way of living, the only way of living eternally. But in verses 14 and 15, we see it's a little bit different for folly. It says, she sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their path. Notice, folly doesn't actually get up and do anything. 
doesn't send anybody. Folly sits back and calls out. Now, before we think, oh, that's easy to ignore, that's not true. We know better than that. Think of your own life. Folly is seductive. Folly doesn't have to come out and get us. Folly just calls to us, and we, in our normal state, apart from Christ, drift that way. We say, this seems easy. This seems good. I want to point out that both of those, both of those sections are in the highest points of the city. Do you know what would have been in the highest points of the city in those days? Temples. Isn't that interesting? We might worship one way of life or another. We may not call it worship, but we do. This is why when we talk politics, everybody, I know y'all are like, we're already talking religion, we're talking politics too. Yep, you're here. When we talk politics, we all bring our own religions into it, even if we say we don't have a religion. We all have our ways of life that we follow and that we worship. And I think the language here helps to bring that out. We find out more about the invitation. Look back at verse 5 for wisdom. She says, Come, eat my bread, and drink the wine I have mixed. Doesn't that sound good? Come enjoy this good meal. It actually reminds me of what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus continues in John 6. Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And if this is your first time here and you're not a Christian, you're like, this just got weird. Are we eating people? We're not doing that. He's speaking metaphorically. All right. Once a month here, we take the Lord's Supper. We say the bread represents Jesus' body, broken for us. His blood represented in the cup, the fruit of the vine, poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. Does this make sense? So we partake of that as we partake of Christ. The language here, very similar. Come eat my bread, drink this wine that I've mixed. If we follow after Jesus, we partake of him. We follow in the way of life, the way of the wise. Verse 17, though, we see the contrast. Folly says... Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty. Now understand, those aren't completely lies. Sin tells half-truths. Have you noticed that? Sin tells half-truths. It promises happiness. And honestly, some sin might give you a moment of happiness. But it's fleeting, isn't it? It's gone before you even get to enjoy it. It leaves a bitter taste in our mouths. Time and time again, you and I will find that sin only leads to despair and loneliness and guilt and shame. And if you've not experienced that in your life, I don't wish it upon you. But I think we all have. Maybe you just haven't realized it. Sin does not lead us to everlasting good. So we want to choose the way of the wise. We want to accept this invitation because we don't want to go that way. We want to choose what's better. If if I hold these two up to you, isn't it like this is obvious? We, We choose the better one. We choose the way of wisdom. We're back to the beginning where we say this is the obvious choice. Maybe some of you are thinking, Jake, you're being overly serious. I mean, what could even happen? 
It's just life, right? Well, this actually tells us what could happen. Look in verse 6. Wisdom says, leave an experience behind, and what? You will live. Pursue the way of understanding. Now notice this contrast, verse 15. Verse 15, where we have folly calling out. It says she's calling out to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. But wisdom, back in verse 6, says, leave an experience behind. There has to be a change there. There has to be a change of direction that wisdom is calling us to. This isn't leaving you where you are. This is a change. Wisdom says don't keep going. Understand that becoming a Christian doesn't just mean you have some kind of change inside you. It means that you change. Do we get that? If we're here today and you're saying, well, I've been a Christian, I like to ask people. I should learn this from Pastor Philip. To ask people, what's different in your life now that you're a Christian? If you say you're a Christian here today and you can't answer that, you can't say what would be different if you weren't a Christian, I'm not necessarily saying you're not a Christian, but I am saying I'm concerned. There should be a change. There should be a notable difference. It's not just, well, I make some decisions differently. It's I'm a new person. I have been made new. I have been born again. And this is what wisdom calls us to. Leave that inexperience behind, and this is how you find life. You will live. Wisdom here is answering the problem of our existence, the problem of the Bible, the problem of death, the problem that one day all of us will die, we'll stand before God, and our own merit we won't deserve to. We don't deserve to be welcomed in. We don't deserve grace and forgiveness and righteousness imparted to us. But wisdom says there's a way. Leave an experience behind and you will live. There's hope even beyond death. Verse 18, we find out more about folly. What happens if we choose folly? It says, but he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol there is the land of the dead, if you're wondering what that is. And this is true of folly. We've already said this, but the truth about folly or sin is that it's never what we expected. It's never what we wanted it to be. The wages of sin is always death. Eventually, sin leads us to death. And again, you say, this is dramatic language. I I hate going to church because they talk about everything like it's life and death. This is life and death. This is real life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when we talk about sin in our lives and we challenge each other and hold each other accountable, it's because we want to live. It's not just because, well, we we should be better, we should be nicer. That's not it. It's life and death. Doesn't abundant life sound better than death? Doesn't walking with the Lord sound more desirable than continuing in sin based on what we've read in these passages? Do you see and feel the weightiness of what we're talking about? Do you sense the urgency? Which will you choose? Now is the time to decide. Now some of you are looking, you're like, you skipped this whole middle section. Verses 7 through 12. What's about that? Don't worry, it was intentional. We're coming back to it now. Look back at verse 7. Because what we find in these verses is what we will become based on how we respond to wisdom or to folly. 
So what we find in these verses is what we could become. Verse 7 says, The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. Notice these characters were kind of being introduced to these, these caricatures, if you will. A mocker, the wicked, the wise, the righteous. Kind of supposed to be grouped together. The mocker and the wicked. The wise and the righteous. One chooses folly and becomes a mocker and the wicked. One chooses wisdom and becomes wise. Becomes righteous even. Which means these verses are actually giving us a test to find out if you've been, wis- if you've been wise or if you've been choosing folly. Are you nervous already? Because this is where you're sitting there going, oh, I know I'm a wise person, I know I make good decisions. We're about to find out if there are some areas of your life where maybe you're not choosing wisdom. When a brother or sister offers you correction, do you lash out? Do you hate them? Do you immediately begin to justify yourself? Do you immediately begin to think of faults in the person offering you correction. If you do, you're, we're fitting more into mocker. We're fitting more into the wicked. If you're wise, when they offer you correction, do you love them? Do you grow in wisdom and desire to learn more? Do you embrace that correction? Now, so far I'm speaking in pretty general things. But we're going to press into this thought for just a second. What in your life is off-limits to correction from those close to you? Is it money? I start with that one because we just announced we're going to talk about money matters tonight at 5. You should come. And I looked around when Philip said it, and I could see the disgust on some of your faces. Church is going to tell me how to use my money? First of all, you didn't listen if that's your question because it's God's money. Second of all, yes, we're going to talk about it. We should seek to use our money wisely. What else is off limits? Your parenting? Your work ethic? Your time management? Something as simple as the way you dress? Unwillingness to receive correction is a sign that we have chosen folly. And maybe on the whole you've chosen wisdom, but maybe there are some areas we try to block off and are like, eh. I don't want this to be part of my relationships in the church. Pastor, we don't need to talk about this. Rejecting correction refuses to hear wisdom. When we do that, we we refuse our brothers and sisters calling us to holiness. We drift toward isolation. We drift away from mission. The truth is we sink into ourselves, thinking we're the only ones that know what's best for us. No, we need brothers and sisters who will ask us hard questions, who we welcome asking hard questions, who will speak gentle correction into our lives. Now I'm going to go ahead and pause, because there are probably a couple of you in here who are super fired up right now, and you're like, I'm going to go correct some people when we get done here. I've been waiting. No, you're missing what we're talking about. (laughs) You're missing what we're talking about. We're talking about receiving Correction, okay? I just want to address that person in the room because do not use this as your license to go be mean to people. Gentle words 
of correction. I get, you know, we won't have this relationship with everybody. Not everybody in here will have that relationship with Pastor Philip or with me. But I hope that you'll have that with a few people in your life. Maybe a few people in your family, maybe a few people in your church family. Have people who can ask you hard questions. That when you say, how you doing? You say, I'm fine. They say, no, really, how you doing? How's that thing you've been worried about going? I know you've been praying a lot about this. Has there been any movement there? I know you've been struggling with this. Hear, hear it not as condemnation, but as the love of a brother or sister. We say we're not like a family. We are a family. And that's what this looks like. Get into those crevices of life with each other and embracing that, being excited about that, knowing that we're better together than we are alone. Sounds good. But when we actually try to live a community and live in accountability, a lot of us run the other way. Come on back. Come on back to wisdom. Come on back to a good way of life. The only way of life that leads to eternal life. Now here's the key. It comes in verse 10. The key to choosing wisdom or folly is verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This verse frames chapters 1 through 9 as a whole unit leading to what the rest of the book of Proverbs is going to do. If you've ever read Proverbs or if you have memorized some Proverbs, you may know ones from either from chapters 10 through 31 because it's a collection of wise sayings, right? You start getting different authors, wise sayings thrown in there. Some would argue it's in a structured order. Others would argue it's just kind of a random collection. Regardless... The writer here is intentionally putting chapter 9 in this place so that we won't go forward until we've made a choice. In chapter 1, verse 7, we found a very similar verse to chapter 9, verse 10. And that's intentional so that we will get that we must fear the Lord to even begin wisdom. If you keep coming to our Proverbs series and you say, I don't need all that God stuff, but y'all are saying some good practical things, you're missing it. There's no life that way. Because that's saying that I know the way I can handle this. A life following Christ says, I have no idea what I'm doing and I need Jesus to be my Savior. There's a church in Nashville, Tennessee called Emmanuel Church. And um, Pastor Ortland there has made a matra for the church. And it has three steps. You ready for the three steps? Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is very bright. Number three, anyone can get in on this. Y'all, that's good. Good things to remind ourselves of. I'm a complete idiot. My future is very bright. Anyone can get in on this. That is only true in Jesus Christ. That's only true because of who he is and what he's done. That's only true if our wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. If our wisdom begins with my own thoughts or my college education or the book I read recently that's not the Bible, I'm in trouble. But if my wisdom begins with acknowledging that God alone is holy and good and that there is only hope in his salvation, then we can find real wisdom. We can live lives that glorify him and are good for us and good for those around us. When at first we rightly behold the Lord, We're only dipping our toes 
into the bottomless sea of his riches and grace. Do we know that? If you're here today and you've never trusted in the Lord, I hope you're going to do that today. You don't have to do it on a microphone necessarily, but even if right where you are, you pray to the Lord and say, I want to trust in you through Jesus. You can be a Christian right now. You can start on this right path. You can have life eternal and abundant life now. And that's only the beginning. I I think of C.S. Lewis's words in the last battle in Chronicles of Narnia series. He says, come further up, come further in. If you have trust in the Lord, that's going to be the invitation. Come further up, come further in. Keep walking in the way of wisdom. Keep finding the goodness here. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, for by me, this wisdom, For by me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. You alone will bear the consequences. No one can choose wisdom for you. One day, every one of us in here will stand before God. And while we love to say we're not like a family, we are a family, family, I won't get to stand there with you and us link arms and say we're all coming in together. We will stand before God and we will be judged. And none of us can bear that on our own strength, on our own merit. The good news is, if you trust in Jesus, he bears it for us. The good news is if you trust in Jesus, then everything that he's done through his life, death, burial, and resurrection is credited to you. He has taken the wrath of God for you. So when you stand before God, he sees Christ's righteousness, not our failures. He sees us as his perfect and pure son who paid our price. When choosing a college... I had to be the one to move. I had to go to class. I had to find a church at college. I had to spend years of my life in some classes that I don't even know why I had to take them. I chose Auburn University. And if wisdom is determined by how a thing ends, then by God's grace I chose wisely. Not because of who you cheer for in a football game or basketball or whatever else. But I made friends I may have never met at another school. I was part of a church that was pivotal, pivotal, can't even say pivotal, to my growth in Christ. And maybe most obviously, had I not decided to go to Auburn, I may have never met Laura, my wife. (laughs) Now as huge as that decision to go to Auburn was... Deciding to follow Jesus is still of greater importance and still has greater significance. If you're here today and you've never considered following Jesus, you say, I'm just here with a friend that's ever going to lunch after, I don't know what I'm doing here. I want you to hear this passage today. What will you decide? There's not a third option. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. That means we're in sin or we are in holiness. Before God, those are the only options. 
Will you accept the invitation from wisdom or from folly? Will you follow Jesus or will you continue to follow whatever you want to do with your life? Non-Christian friends, if you think I've done a lot of foolish things, there's no way, it's too late for me. I know I've done folly, I'm not even denying that. I have some friends who say that who aren't believers. They say, I know I've done a lot of things wrong. This is good news for you too. Because I've done a lot of wrong. All the Christians in here have done a lot of wrong. But Jesus paid that price. There's grace and there's forgiveness and there's hope for what we would say is the worst sinner. The Lord's arm is not short to save. He can save you if you'll turn to Him. If you've already been following Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. If you've already chosen the way of wisdom, is there an area of your life that you've left over at Folly's house that you run back to get every now and then? Or have you moved all the way in to Wisdom's house? Do you keep running back, refusing to submit a behavior or a way of thinking to the Lord? Do you have something in your life that you know is not in line with Scripture? That every time somebody brings it up like this, it convicts you in your heart, and you say, I don't know what to do with this. I'll tell you what to do. Repent! Turn away. Sometimes we hear that in church and it sounds so negative and we say, repent. No, repent. It's joyful. By the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, if you will repent today, if you'll, if you'll come and tell me you're repenting of something, I'll jump up and down with you. And I don't do much jumping up and down. Y'all notice Philip's the one down here like swaying and clapping. I'm kind of like. Yo, if you'll repent today, I will rejoice with you because that's so hopeful. That's good news. Jesus will embrace you, not turn you away. Jesus will welcome you in. We've been personifying wisdom as as this woman who's built her house. This is Jesus in his house, and he runs to meet us. He's not ashamed of us. He's not saying, I want most of you. No, he loves you, and he calls you home. And if you're not a believer, I hope that you'll come to him today. And if you are a believer, I hope you'll run back to him today and rest in his finished work. Rest in the fact that he has purchased life for us and that in him we will live. Now, if you say, that's great. I get all the theology. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I need wisdom for tomorrow. I don't know what to do about my checkbook. Let me encourage you here as well. Wisdom is available to you. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Listen to this. Who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. I am not the person who's going to tell you, pray whatever you want, God's going to give it to you. You know, go ahead and pray for that Mercedes or whatever your dream car is. I'm not that guy. But if the Bible says, pray for this thing, God will give it to you, then I'll stand on that. James very clearly says, if you'll ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. Have you asked him? Have you taken your requests and made them known to him? You can. You can today. And I hope you know that. I hope you will. Imagine if instead of listening to folly, and listening to the folly within ourselves, you chose a life of wisdom today. Imagine if your life changed today. 
that you left sin behind. You left the sin of last night behind. You left the sin of Friday night behind. Imagine if not only you did that, but all of us in here did that together. Imagine if we said we want to walk in holiness together. We want to be God's people who love one another and encourage each other and bear one another's burdens. Doesn't that sound like a better way? I think this passage calls us to that way. And that way is actually a person whose name is Jesus. Let's follow him today.